You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Who is it? Banzai! Daniel LaRusso here for LaRusso Auto. We are chopping prices on all of our inventory. Johnny? I knew it was you. This is Johnny Lawrence. He and I go way back. Oh, this is a guy who's ass you If you want to get technical, I kick this face. <laughs> Where you go, come in. Oh, I didn't know you guys were trying to buy beer. I'm... Oh. <laughs> hey! Watch your car, man. Get the hell out of here, loser. <laughs> oh. Was that like Taekwondo or something? It's karate. Do you think you could teach me? I'm driving home from work yesterday, and in the strip mall, I see... After 30 years, I thought that guy might have changed, but it's still the same prick. I heard you beat up a bunch of teenagers. I didn't beat up any teenagers. I kicked the crap out of a bunch of assholes who deserved it. Thinks he could bring Cobra Kai back to the valley? Yeah. Not on my watch. You want those kids at school to keep dumping things on your head? You want all the girls to think you're a wangless dork? You're gonna be my karate teacher? No. I'm gonna be your sensei. I'm going to teach you the style of karate that was taught to me. A method of fighting your pansy-ass generation desperately needs. Okay, let's see what you got. She's a girl. And? I'm sorry. Are you okay? Girl's a natural cobra. Johnny, you and I, this, we aren't done. everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to be doing some film and television show reviews. We are going to start off with A Quiet Place, new horror film that we've seen recently that kind of snuck up, you know, on everybody. A pretty, pretty good job that they did on it. Then we're going to follow up with Avengers Infinity War. This is a big, big monster hit, <laughs> if you will. Very eagerly anticipated genre film. Puts together just about everything that we've seen so far 
in these new Marvel films into one big team up to fight the biggest baddie they've seen so far. Then from there, we're going to hop over to Netflix to go over Lost in Space, the reboot remake of the original 60s classic, later to be a 90s forgettable film, now comes home with a wonderful new sci-fi series. Uh, we're going to take a look at that. And then we are going to go to YouTube Red with Cobra Kai. Boy, another uh, hit from the past. It's the television series from The Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid film. You know, we get to visit these characters a very long time later and what their lives had turned into. Uh, another uh, surprise, surprise hit. Very entertaining, good show. Very unlikely enjoyable, if you will. I surprised even myself with that one. And as usual, spoilers will be a plenty. So let's get started with A Quiet Place. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. One of the movies I want to talk about today is A Quiet Place. This is a film I've seen, I think, about a month or two ago. I kind of, again, snuck in there quietly, no pun intended. It is technically a horror sci-fi, you can call it. It's a, you know, apocalyptic view of a world now where these creatures are roaming the land and... The only way for people to be able to live or get away from them is to be completely silent. Hence, most of the movie takes place, you know, with this family that we are watching, you know, how they communicate with each other quietly and how sometimes when this quiet is broken, these creatures attack and all the perils that they go through. The film is directed by John Krasinski, who is better known uh, for his role of Jim in The Office. He's done a number of films after that, and it could best be described as a quiet, again, here we go again, sleeper. You go through all these different situations where, you know, right off the bat in the beginning of the film, they they suffer a, a, a devastating loss due to, you know, breaking that rule, accidentally making a noise that triggers a horrific death in the family. And how the family continues to cope through it. Now, through the film and through the other characters in the family, we start to learn, you know, about these situations. Where, you know, he has one daughter who is deaf, which is kind of like weird or ironically weird because, yes, she can't hear anything and you kind of wish, well, if these creatures couldn't hear anything, then things would be a lot different. But because of her condition, she has to wear a hearing aid that malfunctions most of the time you know, during the film until a point where, you know, we do get the resolution of the film uh, slightly bittersweet, but it's because of this hearing aid that she has that they are able to then figure out a way 
of disrupting you know the hearing of the creatures enough to be able to figure out a way of fighting back it's a smart film and it gives you scenarios where you haven't really seen before of how to be creatively you know aggressive towards these creatures within the rules of what you're dealing with now granted yes you know the if you really get to it all the different kind of sounds that could be made are just too many uh, you would figure to be able to survive this kind of a creature granted this is taking place out in the woods so they do have cover in terms of you know you have natural sounds that can kind of damper some of the things that they're doing most of the film they're walking around barefoot because they're trying to keep it as quiet as possible and they're even laying out i think sand or any or something like sand on the ground or in certain areas of the house to make the steps even quieter than normal now the big issue in the film is that his wife is pregnant and she will be delivering this kid and you know that this is just a bomb waiting to go off you know a screaming newborn and you know you do uh, get a, a again very smart resolutions to how to solve some of these problems and it, this could best be described as a sleeper it's a small horror film that works i would say similar to get out it's a small horror film that works that is smart that is they figured out you know how to do it uh, so i strongly recommend this one because of its nature it is full of jump scares which are usually triggered by sound obviously because this is what this movie is all about definitely pick it up on dvd if you are a suspense horror film fan this one you know you're going to remember this one and i'm pretty sure that everybody's chomping at the bits to see if they're going to make a some sort of a sequel to it because you know you gotta now the next film i want to also briefly talk about is avengers infinity war now i can't really devote the amount of time that a film like this deserves in terms of because it is bringing together so many elements of all of these Marvel films into one big one, I don't have the time or the <laughs> knowledge to be able to give it its proper due. However, and I always say this, from a non-comic book fan of these sort of films, in other words, my main interest is in the films. I am aware of the comic book history, obviously, of what this whole thing comes from and all these great films we've been seeing in the last you know 10-15 years however my uh initial entry into them has always been the films the best way that i can rate this film is probably the best of the avenger films i know that there's this huge huge i don't want to call it a blowback because people are happy with the film they're just not happy you know entirely happy with the ending but again i don't think you need to be a super comic book nerd to understand that this is a cliffhanger that this is as i like to call it it's the empire strikes back of avenger films possibly of all marvel films i think they purposely left you hanging and again you know we, we do spoilers here you know we try to review these films or talk about them way after they've been on the circuit out there so that by the time you listen to this hopefully you'll have seen it already but you know okay so you have a, a a new bad guy that's been teased about for quite a number of films now and understandable he is one of these big baddies of 
the Marvel Universe that uh, eventually was going to kind of rear his ugly head. And in this particular one, we are still kind of dealing with the aftermath, uh, not only of uh, Age of Ultron, but we're also dealing with the aftermath of Civil War. Uh, you know, we do have a divided Avenger uh, force out there that, you know, uh, because of the events of those films, uh, they're not a cohesive unit. Some of them are not around. And as this new attack takes place, it does start to bring people together from different corners of the universe in terms of, you know, where Thor left off, where the Hulk left off, Spider-Man's over here, Tony Stark's over there, uh, eventually Captain America comes back, Black Panther's in the mix because, you know, he's taking care of Bucky right now, so it's the battle of the network stars <laughs> of Marvel films because it, it, it purposely goes beyond the normal roster of even the Avengers. So they are bringing a lot of characters. And in a way, this is a kind of dangerous film to make, I think, because one of the things that keeps the Marvel film successful, in my opinion, is that they're able to separate and give you different flavors of the rainbow that is uh, the Avengers. So in other words, for example, you want serious, you know, comic bookish, uh, and even more serious tones, you go to your Winter Soldiers and your Civil Wars and your Avengers even, your Iron Mans, you know, stuff like that. You want to go into the fantastic, otherworldly, magical realms, you go to your Thors, you go to your Doctor Strange, you know, there's a place for that otherworldly things. You want to go towards your more kid-friendly environments, you go to your Guardians of the Galaxy, your Ant-Man. Now, with that said, yes, they do kind of dip into other areas. Don't get me wrong, they do that. But primarily, the overall tone of this kind of is able to stay separate. This way you cater to your different audience, which is something that DC hasn't been able to do. DC has gone dark from the beginning, and it continues to go dark, and they can't seem to get out of that funk which I don't mind that much, but that is one of the main differences, I think, with Marvel. So in this film, I think it was potentially dangerous to be able to mix all these characters because you are mixing tones. Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, they're, uh, they're kind of a, a very light... I mean, they do serious stuff, but overall, the tone is very funny and light. Bringing them in here was potentially dangerous. Thor even, especially after Ragnarok. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Ragnarok. It's probably my favorite Thor film, but it's a definite change of gears. Thor was a more fantastical, serious kind of film franchise, at least, you know, the, the, the ones they had before. But with Thor... Ragnarok, they switched gears. They went to the comedic side. They brought it more towards the Guardians and Ant-Man side, I think, which worked perfectly. I absolutely loved it. So here, you're again, you're, you're mixing these two kind of flavors of Marvel films, and it is probably why they decided to mix Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Their story is kind of together, and it kind of makes sense. You have them kind of riff on each other uh, while they're still under the umbrella of a more serious film. 
Spider-Man and Tony continue to be this mentor, you know, master relationship. You know, he's still learning from Tony and Tony, you know, still taking care of him in a way. But then you have the interaction between Doctor Strange and Tony, which kind of is probably the key to this film in terms of figuring out how to get out of this mess that they put themselves in. Uh, you do have Captain America and Bucky and the Black Panther and his entire country really involved in this war too against uh thanos uh so you have them kind of playing a role in this too you know there's a lot of pieces there's a lot of chess pieces on the board uh you have the vision scarlet witch and you just cannot go through the roster here because they have just about everybody almost everybody in this film now when it's all said and done spoiler alert most of these characters die (laughs) which completely floored everybody. Thanos gets his last Infinity Stone and he's able to, as per his plan, create peace in the galaxy by killing half the galaxy. And that's how the the formula kind of goes. As the battle is over and he puts the thing on, you know, boom, people start disappearing and it's a very sad, very dramatic and shocking thing. You know, most of your characters, Spider-Man is dead and... (laughs) Everybody, Black Panther's dead, and just about everybody drops dead in this film. Just, they disappear. They turn into ash. Now, I don't think it's a big deal. Now, granted, like I said before, I'm not the biggest comic book fan, but I do know enough to know that this is basically a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger that's going to bring us into the continuation of this film, which originally, which I still don't understand why or how, we were supposed to have an Infinity War Part 1 and Infinity War Part 2. Then they retitled it Infinity War, and I guess part two will not be a part two, but they'll just give it a completely different title. I imagine, I guess for creative artistic reasons or whatever, they don't want to have part one, part twos on these things. They want to differentiate them somehow, even though we've had, you know, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, you know, they've they've done the number thing already. But I guess after Iron Man 3, maybe they realized, you know what, we have to give these subtitles instead of names because subtitles instead of numbers, because when you give it a number, it just kind of becomes repetitive and it's a trope of a sequel, a sequel, a sequel, a sequel, that kind of thing. So by giving it a name, it implies it's like a different chapter of a book that has a certain theme, I guess. I don't know, but that's what I'm thinking about. They had a pretty creative, somewhat expected stinger at the end where Nick Fury and and another character, they start to disappear. But right before he disappears, he triggers some kind of a beeper or communication device that he's calling for help somehow. And the symbol is the Captain Marvel symbol, which is one of these upcoming properties that they're they're actually shooting it right now, I believe. So they give you a little, they throw you a bone there with a, ooh, this is a a new character. This is how things is going to be resolved. However, most likely the resolve point for this story will have to do more with Tony Stark and Doctor Strange, because Doctor Strange at one point in the film says, you know, I've looked at all the different scenarios and, you know, there's like a one in a 16 million chance that this could work. And for whatever reason, he had asked Thanos to spare Tony. Uh, So the speculation is that because his only wish in order to give up his infinity, his particular infinity stone was to save Tony, that's, I think, his ace, you know, up his sleeve is that Tony is the key somehow to 
making this right. And that's what I'm thinking of. I've seen some stuff on the internet based on the comics about how, yes, this has happened. And you know, this is a story that's been told already. We People have seen this story. And yes, the, you do have a cliffhanger-y beginning to a story where everybody's, you know, almost everybody's dead. And then you've got to have to figure out how to bring everybody back. And that's what they're going to do. And that's what they have done already, more or less, because from what I understand, this thing's been shot already. You know, they might be doing some tweaks here or there, but this movie is ready to go. And it's, it's on the slate for next year. I believe they said they shot it you know, they shot them back to back. They just don't, you know, most of the actors aren't, weren't sure what's going to show up first, what's going to show up second. But now I guess everybody has a pretty good idea of what they're dealing with. But yeah, this movie is, uh, you know, it's record breaking how much money it's making and uh, very positive, very entertaining, very, very funny at points. You know, they and that's, that's, I think, the best thing about this film, not just the fact that it's a good Avenger film, like I said, my favorite one so far, but it was able to blend the two flavors, you know, the two styles, even the magical stuff. I mean, again, it is Avengers. They have to bring everybody in the mix. But my biggest concern was going to be, you know, how do you throw Guardians of the Galaxy in the mix? And how do you throw, you know, even Thor in the mix at this point? How do you keep them, you know, straight and serious, which they don't have to really. They can they could do both at the same time. And they've just proved that they, they were able to do it. Now, we do have some stuff coming up. Ant-Man and the Wasp is, the, I think, might be the next one because they've been promoting that one already. Trailers are going left and right. So, and he also didn't show up in this film. Uh, neither did Hawkeye. And there are a few characters that never made it to this film. So, they're possibly saving them for the next one. Maybe those, uh, that's what's left of the team that they have to bring out to uh, somehow, you know, make things right again. I know there's a lot of backlash against uh, Star-Lord because, uh, you know, he almost got Thanos' uh, glove off at one point, but then he decided not to because he was distracted or focusing on trying to get Gamora, you know, his vengeance for his girlfriend. And you know what? It's all part of that drama. It's all part of the mix. So everybody calm down. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm sure, and everybody's saying this, they did not just flush half the MCU <laughs> down the toilet. There's money to be made here. I imagine 80% of these characters are all coming back. Uh, they will get rid of some. You know, there is the possibility that everybody who died before the gauntlet was fully formed is still dead. There's a possibility uh, that, you know, a lot of these early on characters are dead. But I can assure you, I'm pretty sure that most of these that disappeared because of the stones, they are going to be back. I don't know if they're going to wait till the last second of the next film, or it's going to be something that, uh, you know, builds up, and then halfway through the movie, they're able to re reconstitute themselves and that sort of thing. But it is coming. I'm pretty certain of that, especially since most of these actors have multiple picture contracts, and they're not going to flush down the toilet, especially with uh, Black Panther that ha was such a huge hit this past year. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. So... Here you are, you have two films, very different. Uh, one is a small sleeper sci-fi horror, and the other one is a action-adventure comic book, mega blockbuster. So, uh, you know, you got both of them. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be on DVD soon, and especially with Avengers. I don't think I have to convince anybody to go take a look at that, especially if you, uh, if you follow this podcast. Television. Television is not the truth. 
Television is an amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom killing business. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is Lost in Space, the new Netflix series. Uh, now, granted, I am aware, I was aware, obviously, of the fact that we had a 1960s Lost in Space television series created by Irving Allen, also well known for his disaster films later on. But to me, the, the original Lost in Space was kind of out there in the peripheral. It was something that I was aware of that existed, but it was something that I really wasn't that interested in really watching. I might have seen clips of it here or there, and it just looked pretty hokey <laughs> to me. Now, I know I probably didn't give it a chance. I didn't give it a shot like I did with Star Trek. You know, Star Trek was kind of around that era, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. But with Lost in Space, I really didn't care much. I know that, you know, later on I realized uh, that Bill Mooney was the, the Will, and later on he was in Babylon 5, which was a huge show that I loved uh, at the time. And it was like, oh, he's a, he's a guy who used to be on another sci-fi show. Interesting, interesting. And I, I knew about Dr. Smith. Primarily, I, I remember back from the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I think listening to Howard Stern and you know, how would they make fun of Dr. Smith and his the way that he would deliver lines, they would play clips of him all the time and it would sound really, really weird and creepy. And then if you watch the, you know, if I watch some, some scenes, he, he does kind of creepy old guy, but I guess that's the portrayal that you get, you know, at that time, you know, of the time of, of the evil, you know, mustache twirling type of bad guy, not a very sophisticated. And I knew that Robbie the robot was kind of the, the robot and he was more or less a derivative of of maybe a, a fantastic planet you know that that type of design of robot he put a guy in a very bulky bulbous kind of uh, robotic suit to, you know so he doesn't uh, look too cheesy too 50s robot cheesy but yeah i understood that it, you know it did exist and it's a family that is lost in space and they have a friendly robot to help them and an evil doctor that they're not aware of and you know yada 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 that sort of thing so in the I think it was in the mid to late 90s uh, a movie came out which was a an actual film uh, based on the lost in space characters and William Hurt and some other you know people were in it the movie apparently didn't make too much money it wasn't a hit it was somewhat of a flop I guess uh, I, I I think I actually got it on DVD for some reason maybe it was around the time where I started buying DVDs and that might have been one of my freebies that I remember I could get when you collect enough proof of purchases, you can then trade it in for a freebie film. And, and Lost in Space, I think, was one of the ones I got. I watched It was all right. It was kind of forgettable, you know, kind of like, oh, okay, great. All right, next. You know, it was one of those scenarios. But then all of a sudden, recently, you know, we got a heads up that Netflix was going to be producing a, you know, short run series for Lost in Space. Now, with Netflix, obviously, we're used to it. It's a different format. It's, it's a really different format if you think about it because, you know, we've already gotten used to the British model of the 12-episode the series, but sometimes they go even less now. They go 10 episodes, just like they did with Lost in Space. And for this, you know, I did see a couple of trailers here or there, which was like, oh, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting. And, you know, it's more modern, obviously, but 
the way that the story is told, it's very interesting from a writing perspective of how they're unveiling the story. The story is already that they are in some kind of perilous scenario already. And as you start to learn about this scenario that they're in, you do get these flashbacks of how they got into that situation. So, as usual, you know, spoilers are going to be pretty heavy here. Uh, in, in this particular uh, scenario that we're dealing with, you have um, the family that happens to find themselves in a s spaceship, a small kind of spaceship, let's say, because they had just either evacuated or left a bigger spaceship, and they more or less crash land into this planet that is somewhat inhospitable. The area they're in is a very cold area. And as we go through these episodes of every episode is like some kind of life dangerous situation that they have to encounter and resolve as a family. We focus basically on the family at first. And then little by little, we start to learn about these other survivors that are in the planet. One of them is West, which is a, a, an ongoing character, you know, from, from the original concept of the show. And another one is Dr. Smith. Again, another concept, you know, original from the show and how these three stories are kind of starting to link together. And eventually they all kind of find each other. And the boy, the younger kid, you know, in the group, he befriends a robot and that robot, you know, he kind of saves his life. So the robot, it would seem as if he's indebted to the boy and becomes connected to this boy. But then as they progress in the story, they find more survivors of whatever the heck it is that happened. And through these flashbacks, then we start to kind of flesh out the family. We know that the family itself, the Robinsons, ironic title, you know, Robinsons, I guess that's harkens back to Robinson Crusoe, I guess. They're a, a blended family and they're also a somewhat dysfunctional family. The, the parents are either divorced or d separated. They're about to be divorced, but they're all kind of entering this, uh, I don't want to call it a lottery, but like, a, and I don't want to call it a contest. It's like this, uh, these trials they have to go through in order to qualify to be able to be shipped out into a different planet because the earth is very polluted and somewhat uninhabitable. And uh, little by little, depending on your scores, on your intelligence scores and all kinds of scores, they try to figure out whether or not you qualify to, you know, be in one of these trips. And more or less everybody is set except for the young boy. The young boy apparently doesn't get the enough, the good enough grades to qualify and they're going to not allow him to go. But the mother kind of rigs things up a little bit because she is involved in a lot of this scientific stuff of prepping for this uh, flight. So she gets him in. So that's kind of like this little secret they have going on through the story that the boy never really qualified. Then we learn about Dr. Smith, who is just uh, some kind of wacky sister of somebody who the richer, more stable sister is about to go on the trip. And the wacky one uh, is meeting with her and, you know, she's kind of going over all the crazy things she's done and, you know, what a, what a black sheep of the family she is. And she, the other sister's like, yeah, yeah I'm, you know what, I'm going to leave soon. I want to just kind of let, you know, let bygones be bygones and I'm going to give you everything that I own. You can have my house, you can have my car, you can have everything because I won't need it anymore. I won't be here. It's all yours. And she's like, oh, that's great. Wonderful. But Little do we realize at the time, or dear, little does she realize that, she drugs her and takes this identity chip from her arm. 
and implants her into her arm because she wants to be the one that leaves Earth uh, and leaves her sister kind of like tied up in the house. You know, she doesn't kill her or anything, at least as far as we can tell. And then that's how she's able to sneak into the ship. However, while she's on the ship, eventually she gets caught. And all of a sudden, we have a sequence where we start to learn about what actually went wrong on this ship, uh, where there's like explosions and there's apparently some sort of an attack from some kind of alien spacecraft. And there's a boarding that takes place and there's a robot that looks a lot like the, the Will's robot attacking everyone and shooting everyone, and killing people and this and that. So people start to evacuate that ship in some shape or form and and a lot of these little i don't want to call them escape pods because they're really ships they're not they're they're actual ships attached to the larger main uh ship that's supposed to take everybody out to uh this other planet anyway uh, all these little ships escape a lot of explosions happen and that's how we find ourselves in this planet you know marooned out there but like i said little by little we start to learn that other survivors have also landed on that planet the ship also gets kind of catapulted into like another area they kind of and almost kind of falls through like a wormhole or something that's formed i'm not sure if it has to do with the aliens probably maybe i don't know but that's the other point is that they're really far away from anything that's known to them so through the series, we start to learn, again, a lot more about these characters. And eventually, we also learn that the reason why there was this initial attack on the station, on that main ship, had to do with some cargo they were holding, having to do with alien technology. So now you start to make this connection of, okay, well, these alien robots, or whatever they are, they didn't just come out of nowhere. They're, they probably came to get something back that was stolen or found or something that, you know, the, the Earth ship was keeping quiet. The robot also, uh, when Will rescues the robot, because the robot is kind of broken, and they, the robot in its natural form has a completely different shape. It walks on two feet, but it has like four arms, and it's very spidery looking kind of thing. But then when Will rescues the robot, saves him, the robot then saves Will, and the robot kind of takes a different shape. He takes more like a human shape. Um, and that's how he pro- he goes through uh, most of the series in that shape. It's not when he until he goes a little nuts that the robot changes back into this spider-like motif. And we do get a lot of again with the family, all the li- the, the little quirks of of the kids. There's one girl. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's uh, two girls, uh, teenager and a little later teenager. One girl is African American, which I guess it's implied that it had something to do with another relationship the mother probably had or the father i'm not entirely sure exactly they're very vague about that they don't go into uh into much much detail as to what's that about the young boy which we talked about earlier this is will the mother and the father they're estranged the father is like a military guy the mother's a scientist and we do learn that you know professor smith or dr smith really she's not a doctor she just took the identity card from a person that was hurt on the ship and she took it and ran with it and left the guy there to probably to die ironically the, that actor was played by bill Mooney, uh the original will so that's a cute little nod the professor smith is a woman in this sh- series as opposed to a man in the original series so they're kind of flipping it a little bit they're, they're giving you a more modern take you know the fact that you do have a an african-american character as part of the family again makes it a little more modern the series is funny because it it, it kind of seems to jump back and forth and, and and that's one of the things that made it very attractive to me was that 
at times it's very serious and it's very deadly serious. And at times it kind of falls back into a more easy family kind of show. And I hope they can continue kind of writing the line here uh, between those two, because if you go too much in the family side, it can turn into a little bit of a hokey kind of show. Obviously, the more series they go, the more I'm interested in because, you know, I like that sort of thing. But I think they're doing a very good job. And yes, every episode is a cliffhangery situation where, oh my God, how do we get out of this one? And But it works, you know, it kind of works. And, and it's still interesting. It keeps it interesting, keeps it interesting, keeps it interesting. And by the time we get to the end of this first season, uh, we get to a point where they get separated completely from the rest of those survivors. The main ship is found in orbit and they're able to evacuate almost everybody more or less except the ones that died on the original uh, crash but they get separated and now we have this scenario where now they are more like where we're used to as far as when you think of the original series now they are officially lost in space because they have been separated from the main group and that's where the next season will take us which they have announced already there's definitely a season two this was a very successful show it is again very family friendly you can you know i we watched it with my daughter i don't know if my son is done watching it but it's it is that type of show i don't want to say it's in the same realm as stranger things but it kind of, even though it's a different subject matter, this is sci-fi, like heavy sci-fi as opposed to horror sci-fi, you know, for Stranger Things. It is that kind of show where there is enough of everything else in this show to satisfy, you know, your younger kids, your your teenagers, let's say, and your adult sci-fi fans. So I definitely, definitely recommend it. Like I said, the serious aspects of the show reminded me a little bit of Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. The, oh my God, this is, there's some really dark things in here. You know, that kind of thing where obviously Galactica stayed dark <laughs> for the majority of the show. But here they're giving you enough of a peek at this darkness, whether it's the people that get hurt, people that die, the robot, the initial attack, Dr. Smith's evil nature. You know, what really happened with that initial attack? Who is responsible? What is this thing they were hiding that the robot came after? You know, there's all these little elements, all these other people that, you know, they're kind of losing it because of, you know, the, the, the stress they're under. The introduction of West, which is the other character that's not a family member, but he's kind of like a regular on the show because he's part of their group. He's a completely different kind of... You know, I, I could I could picture, you know, he's like the, the Han Solo of the group. He's a rough and tumble, kind of no-nonsense, uh, doesn't give a crap about anything kind of guy. And he does have some of those qualities, but they kind of make it different. And he's a little different. He's different enough to be good. Let's put it that way. He's the guy who doesn't care about anything, but he really does care about stuff. And he's a bit of a scoundrel, no pun intended. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's a little shady, but as opposed to Dr. Smith. And the fact that, you know, they made Dr. Smith a woman here makes it also different, unusual different, uncomfortable different, because you're really not used to seeing a villain portrayed by a woman on a lot of these things. It's usually, the, the again, the mustache-twirling baddie. That's the traditional bad guy. But here, you know, she's also pretending to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so it's kind of like 
Yeah, she can kind of get away with that, even though by the end of this, we kind of understand, and I think most people realize now that she's just full of crap. She's just a wacko who's out for herself. And at this point, she just wants to be able to control that robot. But like I said, there's plenty for everybody. The effects are phenomenal. I mean, lately they've done so much good work with special effects in a lot of these shows. And this one, it's cinematic. The, the scenery, the locations, they really went out of their way, you know, to do it in the forest, in the snow, all these different locations that give it a cinematic look. Uh, so this is one that not only do I recommend, but we are kind of like waiting for season two now, which is going to take a while, similar to Stranger Things. We're like, oh, I can't wait for them actually to, you know, give us a second one. And, you know, definitely recommend it as a family viewable show. All right. Another Netflix show that I want to talk about is Cobra Kai. And I have here with me my wife, Kim, who is going to give us a little bit of her perspective and a little background on the show. Now, this kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if they were promoting it a, a long time ago, but it, all of a sudden I started to see some news feed articles that uh, they were going to do something like this. Now, some of the stars of the show and the movies actually have been showing up on the convention circuit for a while now. And I don't know if anybody really had a heads up about it, people that were going to conventions. I know you saw them, right? Yeah, I was looking forward to it. And I'm trying to remember now, I've been to so many conventions in the past couple of years. I'm trying to remember which one it was at. It couldn't have been New York. It might have been Orlando. Possible, but it it might have been something that was pretty currently, you know, in the works. Or at least they kind of kept quiet about it and... uh, and were able to put it out there at a certain time when they had it all, you know, ready to go. A lot of times, you know, we hear so much of all these projects that almost happened and never end up happening, but this is a bizarre one. The show is more or less a, I don't want to call it a sitcom, and it's not really a drama. It's somewhere between a drama and a comedy, because it does kind of ride the line there, which is very different in tone than let's say the movies now let's talk a little bit about the movies because the movies were pretty much straight dramas as far as i can remember yeah they had a little comedy to them but not like this yeah kim why don't you tell us a little bit about the movies like how many were there and how were they different and you know that kind Uh, of thing there were technically i believe there were four i only saw three of them the fourth one just didn't interest me i think it was a girl and i guess i just wanted to see more of uh, daniel LaRusso. so i think that's why i didn't bother with it the first one is a real classic I loved that movie. Uh, It didn't hurt that I loved Ralph Macchio back then, but it was the movie itself was different. The relationship between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso was a really uh, sweet, fun, honest one. And then the Karate Kid 2, they went to Japan, to Okinawa, which I loved because I used to take karate um, I used to teach karate. But Ishim- not, not when Karate Kid 2. Not then, but when I look back, when I look back and I had since seen the movies again, it's fun to watch. And again, even with this series, there are a lot of karate arts that came out of Japan and out of Okinawa, including Ishinru, which is the art that I was involved in. 
and seeing the traditions and seeing Okinawa was pretty cool to me. But Daniel LaRusso had a new girlfriend in this one. He was involved in a lot of the Japanese traditions, and that was fun. Karate Kid 3 didn't do much for me. I don't even remember a lot of the premise of it, to be perfectly honest. Um, Well, the the first one is obviously the big one, because I think it even was nominated for a few Academy Awards here or there. And the director was the same director from Rocky, I believe. So he did have a kind of pedigree of being able to do these sportsy kinds of underdog kind of movies. So there was definitely a, you know, that kind of a feel to it that, that appealed to a lot of people. I do remember the first one specifically. I don't remember if I saw it in the theater. I must have definitely seen it on HBO a number of times. But like you said, they made these three, four films. The fourth one was, again, they switched it. I think it was a girl, like you said. And then they remade it. They kind of tried rebooting it with a with a younger kid. Uh, uh, what was it? Will Smith? Will Smith's kid or something yes, like that? I the- saw that. And it was, it, was, it was fine. It was okay. It was an enjoyable movie. Uh, I had a hard time getting past the fact that it was called Karate Kid, but they were really doing um, Kung Fu, I believe. So yeah, it was it was in China, and that's that's Japanese is kung fu, uh, karate is Japanese. So I guess they I I don't know why they decided to do that rather than just keep it straight karate. But well, for a pretty long time the the idea of the Karate Kid kind of disappeared from everybody's radar, you know, up until this remake they made a, a few years ago. But, like I mentioned earlier, that you know, they did go on the convention circuit. Most of the main actors did not find any traction beyond, you know, that those 80s films. Ralph Macchio, you know, his claim to fame was Karate Kid and The Outsiders. After that, or before that, there's just not too much there like it happens to a lot of Hollywood actors. Well, he he had the benefit of he had that that youth gene, that yeah. that kid-looking gene for way beyond longer than other people have it. So I think like once Michael J. That faded, like Michael J. Fox used yeah, to have, yeah. And I think once that faded, maybe the the roles faded too. But on for the convention circuit, the one I saw, and now I'm really thinking maybe it was New York Comic Con, but the actors all seem to be having a really good time up there. I remember that. And I can't help but wonder, you know, it, the chicken or the egg, was it they're, they're going on the convention circuit that inspired doing the show? Or were they already thinking of the show? I don't remember talk of the show. Well, the, the earliest that I could find here... Having to do with anything with this show is apparently sometime in August of last year, uh, YouTube announced they were going to produce a series. So it's been at least a year in the works, you know, a little less than that. And it's unusual that they decided to go the serious route in terms of not a remake, uh, not a reboot, not a film, not even a, a Netflix-y type of film, even though this is YouTube. But instead, they decided to go into a limited series. Uh, now, granted, this is the typical streaming service kind of a series. Now, YouTube is not exactly streaming, but it's kind of uh, watching something live, you know, more or less, you know, by clicking on it. And they do adhere to the short seasons. Like I mentioned many times before, we're no longer dealing in the 24-episode seasons. This is the, the, the similar to the British model of going for about 12. Well, here they go. I think they go for about 10. And... What's unusual 
is the tone of this series. The films are pretty much straight dramas, no matter how you slice it, you know, with a little bit of comedy sprinkled into it. Here, it's kind of 50-50. They kind of go in both directions. And from the first time we saw the trailers that they were starting to premiere, you kind of had a hint already that this was going in a different direction. It almost made it look as if Johnny was the good guy and Daniel was the bad guy. They they flipped it a little bit on purpose uh, to give you that thing. And as the show, as we started to watch the show, you are starting to get a different perspective of what's happened to these characters many, many years later, 30 some years later or more. And they are purposely starting with Johnny. We kind of see Daniel's character a little later. We get to see his point of view of, of things a little later. And at first, it's 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 basically Johnny is a, is a mess. He's he's he used to be the the bully, karate star of his dojo, and now he is a washed up electrician, more or less, that uh, loses his job because of his temper and people. And he's got a stepfather that kind of hates him and. Uh, he's divorced, he has a, an estranged son, his wife is a mess, he is, his, his life is a complete disaster, and as a result of all of these things kind of colliding at the same time, he gets into a car accident that happens to have a passenger that is Daniel's daughter. So his car gets towed to Daniel's lot, and he just flips out because he can't stand them. He still blames them for everything. And that's what kind of gets the ball rolling on this series. I have to say, look, I did not expect much from this series. I was kind of wincing over the fact that they were making it because, you know, everything is coming back. And, and while there are shows that I do enjoy coming back, sometimes I think they're, they're overdoing it. So I was really surprised to find how much I liked, actually loved this show. They've done something with it in that combination of drama and comedy that is kind of a gift to people our age, the ones that loved the original movies. Now we can appreciate it in a different vein as adults. And you look at the reality in it where, okay, Daniel LaRusso was trod upon as a kid. He comes out shiny now as this owner of multiple uh, locations for a uh, car, car dealerships. Car dealerships. Yeah. Um, Johnny, who was Mr. Rich Kid, who was beaten up on him, becomes, you know, loses in the end. And that's what you want to see in a movie. You want to see the, the underdog come out on top. You want to see the, the nasty guy be vanquished. But here you can see that, okay, yes, that's the way their lives went. Johnny's still, uh, Johnny has, has still fallen apart. You know, the rich kid has fallen to the, to the bottom and Daniel is still on top. But if you look at it, they both have these good qualities and bad qualities that due to their maturity, they've lived life. And yeah, Daniel LaRusso's life is not perfect. He's certainly not raising his son very well it looks like <laughs> that yeah, poor we kept, kid it's just <laughs> we kept wondering is he really in this show because he's like a, 
a kind of a I don't want to call it a mess, but he he's just like so unlikable, and it's like he's got this perfect life. His wife, I guess, there's not too much wrong with her as far as the character is formed, and really, there's really not too much wrong with him. He's a successful person that loves his family. Right. He doesn't have too many flaws, at least that we're being shown, other than this thing about Johnny. He sees Johnny, he flips out. He wants to confront them right. all the time but he does keep himself in check his kids on the other hand are a whole different issue which is what triggers most of the conflicts that have to do with the show his daughter starts to date the student that johnny picks up who's a completely different kid that has nothing to do with the mythology let's say of the show he's a brand new character who lives in the same uh, housing complex but he's a nod to daniel Russo. right he's the, a nice but. kid who who gets beat up who needs help and and johnny takes him kind of under his wing for a combination of not all what's the he, word he I'm sees him for? as as dollar signs as the potential right, right. For he dollar just wants signs. to milk him for a little money and then the fact that other kids come into the dojo then because of him and because of his uh progress with karate you know he does but at the same time he does kind of like him and it starts to leak through but then we have the opposite situation happening because johnny's son gets into the picture we start to learn about him and he's a complete deviant uh Mm -hmm. you know criminal type of guy who is also trying to kind of break away and he kind of hatches his own plan because he hates his father so much that he wants to hurt him by getting close to Daniel and starting to work for him at the dealership and then starting to train with him. So you have these dual trainings taking place and they're kind of paralleling each other in complete different angles. Well, this is what I love so much about the show, the the twist in it and the fact that I have a karate background, so I know what karate can do for a person, especially for a kid. And I love the way, you know, in the movies, we've got a wimpy new kid, poor kid, who this great karate master with a great sense of morals, a great sense of karate, classic karate, takes him under his wing and trains him up to be strong, not just strong in his moves, but strong in his mind. And then you see where Johnny Lawrence, who has everything going for him, joins this dojo with a karate master who is not what karate is all about and what happens to them. So now in the series, we've got the opposite. We've got the bad kid getting the good karate instructor, and we've got the good kid getting the bad karate instructor. So it's it's a twist, and you can see, and it just shows what good training can do, classic training. Now, to further muddle things up here, Daniel's daughter, who was involved in that car accident that started everything, she all of a sudden starts to kind of date Johnny's student. So you have this combination of, it's it's almost like a typical sitcom-y kind of like, oh my God, I didn't know this was happening. And everybody's like, I didn't know that was happening. And eventually we get to a point in the, in, in the series where everybody starts to find out what's going on. Everything just explodes. And they all go for that tournament again that was the climax of the first film. And during that climax, this time around, and again, spoiler alert for everybody as usual, This time around, we have, again, flipping things around where Johnny's student is the one that wins, Daniel's student is the one that loses, but Johnny's still not 100% the bad guy in terms of he's 
doesn't like the way that his own student has won, his aggressive nature, all the crap that he was taught directly by him, yes. he's having a problem with it he's now. He's having a conflict of his right. conscience. He's, he's seeing that, oh, okay, this is the result I've done to him, what was done to me. And for Daniel, we also start to get possibly the return of his daughter getting involved in learning the Quran or learning it again or getting back involved and his new student who is Johnny's son also getting more involved in it this time and him taking him to apparently a, a, another dojo that he has like a secret dojo well, I guess you know, that that, that's which the is other Miyagi's old place that's what that's the other thing I love the the series is full of nostalgia from the movies sometimes in serious ways sometimes in silly ways when Daniel shows him a move or, or is trying to get him to do some kind of really tough move like like he learned the um, crane stance into the jump kick which he uses at the end of the tournament in Karate Kid 1, he's telling uh, his student now about Robbie, telling him about a move that he himself could never master. And then Robbie, he learns it. So it's things like that. And then, of course, when Robbie gets hurt in the tournament and his shoulder has been damaged, he's like, I don't think I can fight. And Daniel says, yes, you can. Well, we're going to take care of this. And you see him slam his hands together and start to rub them together, which if you remember in Karate Kid 1, Miyagi fixed his leg. So you think that, oh, wow, he must have passed that down to Daniel and he's going to fix his shoulder. Instead, no, he just goes, he, he, he basically calls for emergency services, right? Yeah, he calls like yeah. the doctor to yeah, come and, doctor, and, and yeah. like tape him up or something. <laughs> He's like, so. well, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of this. But yeah, the, 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 the actors, again, the only really known actors are your main characters, which is uh, Ralph Macho and William Zabka, who plays Johnny. Obviously, uh, Mr. Miyagi has died many years ago. You can't bring him back. Elizabeth Shue is still alive, but uh, for some reason they couldn't get her, I guess, to do the show or something. Yeah, because, well, they, they'd say what happened to right, her they, character. They do talk about they her, her, that her she character. did marry someone else, so they're, they're not at least killing her off. You know, you never know. <laughs> if the show gets popular, she might make an appearance. I want to know what happens to the girlfriend, what happened to the girlfriend in Karate Kid 2. What was her name? Ki- Kiku? Oh, well, Kiku? maybe do they even mention it in Karate Kid 3, what happened to her? Who oh, knows? I'm trying to remember. You never know. Yeah. Again, when yeah. these things become popular, yeah. all of a sudden people that normally would want nothing to do with it might get interested. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the hook at the end of the show is that as Johnny goes back to the dojo, I guess to kind of celebrate quietly, you know, which he's not very happy about, all of a sudden Kreese shows up, which is the guy that used to train him it was his his sensei, let's say, from he was Karate the Kid. The original, no, no, right, um, played by Martin Cove, who I guess is interested in doing the show, and he kind of pulls, he kind of pulls like a like a Luke Skywalker uh, in uh, Force Awakens. He shows up at the last minute to kind of throw the hook, and the hook is that he's back, and he, he's, in my opinion, he wants to, he is going to get involved in this somehow. Should, should we should we talk our theories? My, my theory is that <laughs> because he's using the name Cobra Kai, Johnny's using Cobra Kai, doesn't belong to him. So this guy, who is the real owner of Cobra Kai, let's say, is going to pull some kind of legal maneuver where he has to make him a partner or else he would sue him and, and, and shut him down or, or something of that nature. I think he's going to weasel his way into the show. So obviously he's there for that. 
And I think he's going to weasel his way in. But I think that very shortly after he does that, I'm wondering if Johnny will turn tail and uh, somehow he and Daniel will join forces and train together, train yeah, kids both, together both against Cobra Kai. I don't know. Right. I'm, I mean, you, you have you have Robbie, which is Johnny's son, and you have Miguel, which is the which is Johnny's uh, trainee, let's say. Right. So you have them, those two kids. And you've uh, got a lot of like uh, formerly sweet kids in Cobra Kai that he basically turned into right. little beasts. So I wonder what happens to them. Now, the, again, the weird thing about the show is that if, if you were to read to me this script or this idea, mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't work. Right. That's it it, it sounds horrible it. <laughs> on paper, I think. And the fact that it works, I cannot still figure it out why it works. It's, it's hokey, it's cheesy, and it works. So it's like, it's, what is it? I can't figure it out. It's it's nostalgia. It's Actually, I'd be curious to see how somebody that's, I don't know, 14, 15 years old suddenly watches this. I, I don't know if they would oh, care. Yeah, I it, don't think it I, probably wouldn't make sense, I think. It would be like, what the hell is this? I mean, even if they watched Karate Kid 1 and 2... Would it still mean anything to them? Well, I'll tell you something off the bat. According to some of the numbers I've been seeing, the amount of people that have been watching this show for a sort of like a streaming service is much higher than premieres of some of the Netflix shows, including Lost in Space. Uh, They got way, way bigger numbers than they ever expected. And it's the biggest show that YouTube, I mean, granted, it's YouTube. YouTube Red is kind of new still. They do have their own programming, but nobody knows anything about it. And it kind of blew those numbers out of the water. Yeah, it's nostalgia. We like to see things, people in their, what, late 30s to into 50s like to see see their favorite stuff come back and when when they do that by throwing some of the nostalgia in and by giving you twists it works i think i think it works yeah so they definitely already we know that there's a second season coming they approved it right i mean they probably approved it the second these things started airing right now i believe youtube has the first two episodes up for grabs for anybody who wants to see and then you got to subscribe to red which leaves you other options if you know how to find them or with red you can subscribe for i think 30 days and then you can stop that's a that's all you can test out the channel uh so if you want you could do that you can just it's only 10 episodes so you, you really think you're, you're only dealing with eight episodes that you have to watch on your own and obviously something like this just like in netflix and some of these other sh- uh, shows i'm sure by the time the second season is ready to go they'll put them on dvd and they'll put them in you know for rentals uh somewhere for people to watch because uh all of a sudden they have a hit on their hands an unexpected hit so who's your favorite character in this I think I like Johnny because he's just so different than what you expect. Daniel is basically the person you know the most because you already knew his story ahead of time. But with Johnny, you are trying to, you are finding out about ex-wives, uh, stepfather that's a pretty mean guy, how he got involved with Cobra Kai in the first place, you know, uh, all that stuff. You know, all that stuff that was happening at home that really drove him in that direction. And... The fact that he's teetering, he's teetering, trying to every time. And again, it's a, it's a trope. It's 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 predictable. But every time those that he and and Daniel would kind of start to agree on something, something would just explode and make it all make them all go back in their own corners. 
because uh, obviously you can't have them agreeing too much. You need that conflict, at least in this first season. And like you said, it is possible that with the second season, that's going to provide them with a reason or an opportunity to be able to kind of focus on another bad guy, if you will, which most likely is going to be this uh, this other the, the the old the old sensei from from his from his actual dojo. One other thing that I find is uh, really relatable is the way Daniel had to his own little dojo in his house. He had to clear it out again. Because as much as he was into that and as much as karate is still a part of his life because he was on the board for the All-Valley competition, right? Life gets in the way. Like uh, his, his business, his kids, his family, you could see everything kind of, I guess, life got in the way. And so now he's going back to his karate roots. He's pulling it out. He's, he's remembering what Miyagi taught him. And I think that's pretty cool because how many of us you know, in our 40s are, you know, look back on, oh, wish I could get back into this or get back into that. Well, the the other thing I, I want to mention is also that, that there is another character that showed up, which is his mom, who was played, yes, I guess, I love by her. the original I actress. They, they brought her back. So that was kind of cute to bring her back in the mix. I still don't understand it. I don't know if it's done on purpose or it's just a badly written character. But his son, I think his son is so ignored not ignored, I'm, but I can't understand his son being such a jerk he doesn't, in that family that is such a perfect kind of family. Well, that's what I'm saying. He that's why fit. this has such a, a realistic kind of tone to it. Because if you look at it, I mean, the daughter, supposedly he was teaching her karate until she was like, what, nine or 10 or something? Yeah, she got involved and, with the, like the Heathers of the group and, uh, of the high but school. But she was good. And oh, I cannot wait to see her in action next season. I come from a, a karate school where most of the senseis were female and a lot of the students. So to me, it's it's exciting. And it was also weird to see one female in Cobra Kai. <laughs> but, oh, that, yeah, because they're, they're taking like all the outcasts. He's taking and, and, and granted that at first he's got way more, but he gets rid of so many. And the thing about his character is that he's a jerk, but he's an unapologetic jerk. He is... He's basically everything. Oh, he's <laughs> Stereo- racist. Every he's, stereotypical he's thing awful. you can think of, he is that character. Um, he's like a clean Eastwood at El Torino. You know, like you said, sexist, racist, you name it, he's, he's there. Then also, on top of that, you know, to give you that nostalgic thing, he's kind of stuck in the 80s also. He's listening to the music. He doesn't seem to be too up to date with technology even though he's an electrician and he's installing televisions but at the same time he doesn't even know what a smartphone is or something like that at some point so it's like you know he's he's somebody that got stuck more or less at a certain period and never kind of left that period oh what my my point was with uh with his son is apparently the the daughter had taken an interest in karate so and that's something so important to him so i guess he spent a lot of time with her and the the younger son just seems to sit on the couch and play video games. Yeah, but I so never maybe- got the impression that he's reacting to like the son is angry at him for no. for him paying too much attention to the daughter. I think this the son's just a, a little jerk. He's like a little well, jerk. maybe he'll join the karate dojo, um, Miyagi Do. Who knows? In the next season, you know, get a little firmed up and you know work out a bit. <laughs> So we'll see. Change his outlook on life. Yeah, we'll see which way this goes. I mean, 
it's it was definitely a good start to a series. And again, the type of formula that they've selected in the past, when somebody tells you about it, it doesn't work. There have been many shows or many movies, really, that they try to reboot. And they kind of take them off a little bit to the side. Like, for example, Starsky and Hutch used to be a cop show. They then did a reboot movie that was a comedy. And you figure that that would have been enough to uh, give people a fresher look at it. But it completely flopped to go from drama to comedy. Here, you have a similar situation. But again, like I said before, somehow it works. And it still baffles me why it works. Yeah, I think the key is is the mix between nostalgia and making the, the characters mature a bit. So they kind of gr- have grown with you and you get a glimpse into them now. You know, the, you know how they were and you get a glimpse at what they've done with their lives. And maybe, maybe <laughs> the, the 30 way. second incremental uh, storytelling helps too instead of giving you a two hour movie where mm-hmm. you can't cram in all that information. And, and for two hours, this would look kind of cheesy. You know, the production value would be very television-ish looking. Uh, even if they did a, like, you know, Netflix has its own films. And, you know, they don't go to the theater. They go straight to, to Netflix. So here, spreading it out over 10 episodes you know, gives them a little more wiggle room to be able to explore, obviously, all these background stories that we never knew about and to flesh out the newer characters that are brand new to us. You know, the one regret that I have about this, though, is the fact that the movies were pretty much, I mean, I don't remember what their rating was, but there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, harsh language in those. But in this, there is. So uh, while I mean, our kids are old enough, it it doesn't matter if they if they do have an interest to watch it fine. But like, I can't even I wanted to once I saw Daniel LaRusso doing kata, uh, the forms and stuff that uh, that I did. I wanted to tell my sensei and my dojo, hey, tell the kids that this is on, you know, they should watch Karate Kid, and then they can can watch this series. But you really can't most of them, a lot of them are much younger. And no, this is is more like a teenager, like a high school crowd type of uh, audience. You wouldn't you wouldn't sit and have your, you know, six or seven year old watch this because the language can get pretty rough. And uh, some of the some of the ideas, I think, in it, too. Yeah, but it's really made for us. It really no, yeah, it, we, we are definitely the target audience, especially if you're into, you know, the 80s, uh, nostalgia, you know, vintage type of uh, stuff. Charlie Lawrence is still vintage. So we, we definitely recommend this one. Yes. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We jumped from one end of the spectrum with films like A Quiet Place and Avengers Infinity War all the way to, you know, your home viewing with Lost in Space and Cobra Kai. You know, we took a little break today, I guess, from Star Wars because there's just so much Star Wars out there that I still want to talk about. But we had to kind of get these things out of the way because they were there and they're great and they're really definitely worth your time. But don't worry, gigantic Star Wars content coming very, very soon. Solo is right around the corner. A special thanks for Kim, my wife, for joining me today with our Cobra Kai review. So until next time, thanks for joining us, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest France. Bye-bye, everybody.
lost. No kidding. This is Will Robinson of the 24th Colonist Group. I'm the first human to discover evidence of an alien intelligence. like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. Broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. <laughs>